I'm Laura Mize from TeachMeToTalk.com. Hi, I'm Kelly Hampton. Hi, this is Chip Gerhardt, Chairman of the Board of the National Down Syndrome Society. This is Rachel <coughs> Coleman from Signing Time, and you're listening to Down Syndrome Radio. Down Syndrome Radio. Down Syndrome Radio. Down Syndrome Radio. Hello and welcome to Down Syndrome Radio, a perfect podcast to learn more about parenting children with Down Syndrome uh, from a from a dad's perspective. Uh, I'm your host, Mark Owens, here with my good friends Jason Kosky and uh, Rick Kosmowski. This is episode number 30, uh, the first one of 2015. So uh, how you guys doing, uh, Jason? What's going on over there in California? Doing doing okay. Um, struggling with some some sicknesses of the winter. You know, I've, I've kind of been dealing with it since uh, Christmas time, I guess, and I finally succumbed to it. Colette has been uh, through it about two or three times now, and I'm finally a little, a little feeling it today. So, just trying to trying to stay healthy. Give us the give and us keep, the quick update on your healthy. kids and their ages. Kids. So Dexter will be four um, in two three weeks in mid February. So um, yeah, that's it's crazy. We are, you know, really. Kind of starting to think about the whole kindergarten thing, because um, that'll be here before we know it. And um, he's doing really well. Preschools doing great. Uh, potty training still still uh, there happening. I mean, pretty much solid. You know, accidents happen, but but he's doing really good with that. That was that was kind of one of the last things we talked about. Um, baby girl Maeve is now nine months. Hard to believe how wow. time flies. She's crawling around and and uh, just really happy little baby, and and it's very fun. And uh, Eloise is six years old now, and she'll be seven in April, and and um, in first grade, and still has um, the energy of I think twelve little kids. <laughs> Super. So, yeah. All right, Rick. How about you, man? Uh, a lot has happened since we've talked last, that's for sure. Uh, so Kayla is eight. She's in third grade. Logan is two, uh, being a terrible two-year-old. And I remember when he was just born when we were doing this a long time ago. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's just going, going crazy. Kayla um, is just uh, headed into uh, braces and orthodontics, and she had her first uh, dentist appointment for that today. So whole new thing to go through we could do a whole podcast on that i think oh my gosh but uh, exciting all right well things are good down here in richmond uh you know uh luke is six uh older brother alex uh, just recently got braces he's uh, 14 and my uh, uh, other daughter uh, molly is 12 uh but luke is um he's in kindergarten now he loves it uh he is very independent with his trying to get dressed himself and uh Boy, if we could just teach him to buckle himself in and out of the car, that would be awesome. But uh, he he never stops talking, so it's wonderful that uh, he's so uh, uh, verbose. But, boy, we were home for a snow day today, and uh, 
He's a handful. <laughs> but he, he's hey, you guys got a snow day? We didn't get a snow day. Oh, my God. Two flakes and they closed down here, I'm sure. But, wow. Uh, <clears throat> uh, who's ready for our awesome guest? Ready. I have an awesome incredibly esteemed guest for you. This is something that we've been talking about doing uh, um, you know, probably from the beginning of this podcast. That's one of the things I think Absolutely. that excites us most as dads. Definitely. Yeah, if you guys all agree, which is uh, you know, Down Syndrome Research. Uh, we have with us today... Uh, Dr. Michael Harpold, uh, Chief Scientific Officer of the LuMind Foundation, formerly DSRTF, uh, has been involved with the foundation since 2005, serving as a founding chair of the foundation's scientific advisory board since its inauguration in 2006, a uh, member of the board of directors between 2006 and 2010, and Chief Executive Officer um, from 2007 to 2010. Dr. Harpold has more than 35 years' experience in biomedical research, and as an executive with, within both academia, including USC School of Medicine and Comprehensive Cancer Center and the Salk Institute, which we were talking about actually before the show, uh, and the biopharma industry. Uh, his research has involved diverse problems in molecular biology, biotechnology, and biomedical science, including significant contributions to research in molecular signaling in the nervous system, as well as drug discovery primarily focused on the disorders of the nervous system. He is the author of numerous scientific research publications and has uh, his work has led to uh, 47 issued U.S. patents. He's a very smart man. Welcome to the show, Dr. Harpold. How are you doing this evening? Very good. Thanks, Mark. All and right. Good to meet you, Rick, and uh, Jason as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a pleasure. T- tell us about yourself, Dr. Harpold, about uh, you know, how, how, you, uh, how you got here. and. <laughs> Well, as, um, as you had uh, just indicated, I've, I've worked both in academia as well as in the biotech industry uh, over the years, which I think gives me uh, a bit of a unique uh, perspective. <clears throat> and my interest uh, uh, for most of that time has been actually in the nervous system. And uh, I've, in the biotech industry, I've had research groups that were working on uh, a variety of disorders of the nervous system, including Alzheimer's disease, epilepsy, Parkinson's disease. Um, and I actually knew something about uh, Down syndrome because I knew something about the connection between Down syndrome and Alzheimer's disease. Um, but I guess a few years ago, uh, actually probably in 2005, an old friend of mine that we had worked uh, in a laboratory with me when I was still basically a student, a postdoctoral fellow uh, in New York, uh, had contacted me and some others that we had worked together in, in the lab uh, asking about you know, just a particular researcher and some research. Didn't really say why. After a couple of additional emails, uh, she had indicated that she had gone on uh, to medical school. Uh, she had five children. And her last child was born with Down syndrome. So we got to talking about that. And uh, really, this was the basis of, of actually the formation of the foundation as well. It's the same, same basic question I think a lot of parents have, and that was, uh, again, this is now more than 10 years ago, but or just 10 years ago, uh, where's the research? Uh, she had worked in, in laboratories, she knew something about medicine, and she was just uh, 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 concerned that uh, uh, it didn't seem to be uh, as extensive uh, uh, research into Down syndrome as in a variety of other uh, disorders. So we started talking, I got involved uh, in working with her, uh, she was involved with uh, the foundation at the time. It was called Down Syndrome Research and Treatment Foundation, DSRTF. Many of your listeners may uh, may know the organization by that. We actually changed our name uh, last year uh, 
somewhat in recognition of our 10th anniversary uh, of existence. It was founded yeah, in 2004. We've, we've mentioned it several uh, times. Yep. And uh, the name was changed to Lumind, and some people wonder what Lumind means. And it's actually a combination of two words, which is really sort of our objective, and that's illuminating the mind. So Louvre, Luke from Luminate, Illuminate, and Mind, uh, uh, the focus on uh, cognition research. Anyway, back to how I got involved. So I worked with the foundation, as you'd indicated, uh, for a couple of years, uh, helped organize the scientific advisory board, uh, uh, led off the, uh, the, the initial scientific advisory board meeting, and we had developed some strategies or some strategic uh, plans at that point and uh, to implement those. Uh, I actually joined the foundation and that was 2007 and I've been here ever since. Fantastic. Do you, do you have children yourself, Dr. Harper? I do. Uh, my, my kids are older than your guys. They're 33 and uh, 31, uh, two, two boys. Uh, uh, they're out, and I'll tell you, I'll knock on wood and say, that thankfully, they're they're out there working. <laughs> well done. <laughs> and uh, but I'll tell you, I don't have in my own family, I don't have a direct connection to uh, uh, to, to Down syndrome. Uh, I got involved in this, well, partly because of my experience, and I thought I could contribute something. But you know, for me, it really was when I looked into it and saw uh, um, where research actually stood. Um, to me. I felt like there was a lot that could be done. Certainly, a lot of you know uh, uh, science that had been done, research that had been done over the previous you know, 10, 15, or 20 years in neuroscience and genetics that uh, could be applied to uh, Down syndrome, and that's uh, really a, a big reason I got involved. But it's also, to me, it's a social justice issue. It was like looking at this and looking at what the uh, issues were. It certainly seemed to me that uh, there were things that could be done uh, and research could contribute uh, to that. Well, fantastic. Well, can can you kind of ju- just go ahead and trans- transition right into the kind of the research 101? I love sure. that name that we that we sure. discussed. Uh, a couple of us have seen your your, your presentations at different, uh, you know, local Down syndrome associations. So uh, I, I realize there's no... Um, uh, visual aids here, but you know, maybe you could. <laughs> I'll do my best. And, uh, we'll, <laughs> some of it can be rather complicated. It does help to have uh, some graphics sometimes. Well, but, we'll put a link to to the website, uh, and, yeah. and even if you have a specific link to you know a specific spot, we'll we'll put that on our uh, on, okay, our, on great, our show great, notes as well. Right, right. And I'll mention that I think along the way, there's uh, a lot of this information is on our website. So uh, and and we're posting updates uh, all the time. So it's not uh, it's not Lumine.com. It's Lumine Foundation. Is that right? Lumine. That's right. And .org. O-R-G. Lumine right. Which emphasizes the fact that we are a nonprofit. Uh, basically, uh, uh, the, and the mission of the organization, just to sort of clarify it, is to stimulate biomedical research that to accelerate the development of treatments to significantly improve uh, cognition. That includes memory, learning, and speech for children and adults uh, with Down syndrome. And I want to emphasize that the research that I'm going to talk about uh, today is really applicable to both children and adults with Down syndrome. That's one of the things that I think neuroscience research has uh, been showing us now for almost the past 20 years, that uh, the the brain and the processes that are involved in things like learning and memory are very plastic. They can change, and they can change with age, but you can also change them uh, 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 experimentally, and the goal here is to develop 
uh, therapeutic treatments that would, in fact, uh, correct uh, uh, impaired function uh, in, in, in the brain. But what we're really all about, like many organizations, like your guys' organization, what you're trying to do is really it's all about creating new opportunities for individuals with Down syndrome. And our focus and what this specifically relates to is to lead more independent lives, uh, to participate more successfully in schools and employment. And then something we'll spend a few minutes on is to prevent the uh, additional uh, earlier cognitive decline with aging and with Alzheimer's disease, the earlier onset Alzheimer's disease that uh, uh, the vast majority of individuals with Down syndrome uh, uh, experience. And I want to just emphasize this thing about leading more independent lives. In my conversations with uh, uh, particularly young adults, uh, adolescents, young adults with Down syndrome, if you ask them one of the things that, that would mean the most to them, they all want to live much more independently. And I want to ask you, uh, just, you know, is that different than any of us when we were growing up? So uh, a big portion of this is to be able to improve cognitive function, uh, which would allow uh, in individuals to, to live uh, more independent lives. Another point, I guess, just before we get into sort of the details of the science, is just to say, I'd mentioned the fact that uh, uh, there hadn't been a lot of research, and historically, uh, Down syndrome research has been uh, disproportionately underfunded uh, by uh, NIH, National Institutes of Health, which is uh, uh, the main uh, funder of biomedical research in uh, uh, this country. And it wasn't, I mean, there were many factors to this, so it wasn't because, you know, nobody thought anything about Down syndrome specifically. It was that it is a relatively complicated uh, disorder. It's the triplication, as I'm sure all your listeners know, triplication of an entire chromosome, chromosome 21. And chromosome 21 actually turns out to be the smallest uh, of uh, human chromosomes, but it still contains somewhere between probably uh, 300 and 400 uh, genes. So it's very different than things like cystic fibrosis, which you may read about in the newspaper, where that's a mutation in a, in a single gene. This is, in, in Down syndrome, we're dealing with uh, what do all of these, the overexpression, the extra copy of that chromosome and those three to 400 genes, uh, how are they affecting the function of, uh, from the cellular level all the way to the, the whole uh, uh, person uh, level. But that disproportionate, just to give you an example, and uh, this is for fiscal year 2012, uh, the funding for uh, Down syndrome was at about uh, $65 per individual with Down syndrome. There were somewhere between uh, 300,000 plus individuals with Down syndrome just in the U.S., 4 million worldwide. Uh, and if you looked at something like cystic fibrosis, which I just mentioned, uh, rather than $65, you're looking at almost uh, a little over $2,800. So more than 40 times more funding. And that would be true of something like muscular dystrophy, which would be more than tenfold more funding, ALS, uh, which has been in the news a lot recently, that's more than 20-fold uh, more funding. And even Fragile X, where you're, uh, uh, it's actually a considerably smaller population of 17,000. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that we certainly uh, were formed to uh, address, is to bring additional funding uh, to Down syndrome research, and also to try and work with the NIH uh, to uh, increase funding, uh, uh, increase the uh, number of research projects that were uh, being undertaken out there. 
and I've got something again that always shocks audiences and the community in general is about the level of NIH funding. But let me just add, and this is what we're about, is to say private funding, that is non-governmental funding uh, for Down syndrome, uh, works out to be, and this is I think a generous estimate, slightly less than $10 per patient. So six, more than sixfold less than what you see from the NIH. But if you were going to look at something like uh, cystic fibrosis, uh, on a per patient basis, it's about a thousand dollars. So a hundred times, more than a hundred times more uh, funding from non-governmental sources, foundations, uh, what have you, uh, for cystic fibrosis. And that's true of all those other disorders that I've mentioned as well. So there's a real need uh, for increased uh, funding. Dr. Harpole, <coughs> yeah. we, we've talked about this before, and, and at least my personal position is that it's, a, it's an issue of awareness you yes. know, as parents, when we all do our research, when we first get our diagnosis, you know, there's a there's an initial impression that it's um, it's it's kind of a thing that you have to accept, and it's not right. uh, it's in every cell in the body, right. you know, and you know you could fight it or you could accept it. Uh, so it 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 was this feeling that research there wasn't really much that research could do. There was research into into methods of teaching children with Down syndrome, that kind of right. made sense too. But you know, actual actual cures or actual uh, uh, pharmaceutical uh, uh, ways to to help cognition, I, I didn't consider that even to be possible at the time. So I think there's a lot of people that out there that still have that still have that feeling. So I think one of the things that you need to do, if you want to change the the amount of research dollars, you need to change the awareness so that people realize, hey, this is working. This is very right. exciting. You know, uh, this is going places. So right. I think once you get people excited about it, then it'll help hopefully turn that uh, that funding uh, disparity around. Right. Well, you've defined not only what my day-to-day job is, but I think the job that I think the community needs to do. And that is to be, if you hear about uh, this research and it's something that you find, uh, as we do, certainly promising and absolutely worthwhile, tell your friends and neighbors, okay? I think that's a big part of uh, 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 the communication throughout the community. And I think that's even going to take, interestingly enough, I think it's going to take uh, uh, parents communicating about this research to uh, their primary care physicians, for example. I mean, this is a lot of this is still at the research stage, as I'll tell you. We've moved this into the clinic in terms of clinical trials, okay? But the drug doesn't exist yet. So, in general, if you're looking at your uh, uh, primary care uh, uh, physicians out there, in general, they may not be aware of the, the rapid uh, progress. So again, I think we need all voices uh, that listen to this message to really speak up. And uh, we're, we're doing our, our best <laughs> on that front. You are. You're, 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 in fact, you're here to help us on a podcast at, uh, at 9 o'clock at night. So we, we definitely thank you for your, for your time and for your help. Well, I emphasize the fact that we are focused on cognition uh, research, and you may, you know, people may ask, well, why cognition? Uh, there are certainly other medical issues confronted by individuals with Down syndrome. I mean, maybe 50 to 60 percent of individuals have uh, congenital heart uh, uh, defects. Uh, those can be uh, somewhat corrected by, by surgery. Other individuals may have hearing problems, you know, visual problems. Again, there are varieties of medical issues out there, but many of those are actually being addressed. Uh, again, there's a higher incidence of, of leukemia amongst uh, individuals with uh, uh, Down syndrome. I'll say something more in a moment about the cancer end of things, but 
Um, <clears throat> there are therapies that are developed, and again, in, uh, focused on cancer. With respect to cognition, um, this is something that every individual with Down syndrome experiences. It's an intellectual disability by definition. It's not monolithic. There is a range of cognitive uh, uh, abilities uh, from uh, mild to moderate. Generally, uh, that's referred to. But there are individuals out there, again, it's a, it's a curve. So there are individuals out there with severe uh, impairment. But it is that neurological manifestation that uh, is, is uh, a, a big part of the disability. Um, it's that early and sustained cognitive disability um, these are, as I said, really significant issues that extend across a lifespan. Uh, uh, as I mentioned, it was generally mild to moderate cognitive impairment, uh, mainly with uh, uh, related to memory and learning, and to a great extent uh, also speech. Um, and as I said, that varies to a, a certain extent. But it's also related to other other uh, life issues. I've mentioned independence, but and I've mentioned speech and communication. But there's also sleep problems uh, uh, out there, and that's believe it or not, there's a cognitive component to uh, those sleep problems. But another big issue is not just that developmental intellectual disability, but the majority of individuals with Down syndrome show that same neuropathology that's found in Alzheimer's disease by their 40s. So its onset is much earlier. And in fact, as I'll mention in a, in a few moments, uh, <clears throat> that neuropathology, uh, you can actually see, it, uh, research has actually shown that you can actually see some of that neuropathology uh, in individuals with uh, Down syndrome at less than a year old. So it's something that's building up over time, but this Alzheimer's disease pathology uh, is developing much earlier uh, in individuals with Down syndrome. One other point I'll make about the cognitive end of things. You've mentioned about education. There are various uh, uh, interventions. And some people ask, well, what if you never develop uh, a therapy uh, that could impact uh, cognition? Now, personally, I certainly believe, and I hope I convince you by the end here, uh, that we're on a, a solid path in that direction. But if we couldn't, why would we do this research? Well, again, this lack of research that I've mentioned historically, the more we understand specifically uh, with modern uh, uh, biomedical research about cognition, um, the better we're going to be able to design other interventions, be that educational interventions or uh, employment interventions, uh, uh, what have you. So, again, cognition is something that was essentially being ignored. It's what you just stated uh, has been your experience. Is we all sort of grew up thinking, well, intellectual disability, you know, we're all sort of told that's it. Nothing can basically be done. And that's what we set off to uh, actually alter. Some people ask, well, this cognitive, this developmental cognitive disability is, again, it varies uh, amongst individuals. Uh, and, you know, what's, in, what's involved? We actually know something about uh, particular brain regions or structures in the brain uh, where uh, some of the uh, impairment actually uh, uh, is, is mediated. One of those areas is the hippocampus. You don't have to remember that. It's a long, it's a long uh, name, but it is a structure in the brain. Everything's connected in the brain, but it's actually a structure in the brain that's involved in detecting and storing novel information. Uh, it binds together pieces of information. So if we hear something new, we can bring that information together and combine it with other uh, things that we've learned or facts 
and develop a, a strategy for dealing with a particular problem. Uh, the hippocampus also it talks to the rest of the brain, which stores and updates knowledge. So again, that's that learning uh, and, and memory connection. And importantly, in fact, the Nobel Prize last year was just awarded for uh, researchers that were working in uh, this this field. Uh, uh, it, it's a it helps construct a map of the world. Uh, basically, uh, if we're sitting down in a new space, uh, it's how we sort of think about and remember. Uh, a speaker is at the back of the room, in the front of the room, or, where, or, or wherever. So the hippocampus is, is intimately involved in learning and memory, and that's one of the regions of the brain uh, where uh, there is some impairment in Down syndrome, and that's been shown by research. Another area is the frontal cortex. Everybody's used to thinking about the brain, the, the cortex of the brain. This is the frontal area of, of the cortex, and it's involved in what's so-called working memory, that is keeping information online and working with it. Uh, it's another area that, together with the hippocampus, allows for flexibility, meaning that it, it helps in problem solving. And one way to look at this is the frontal cortex actually is on, you could think of it as the CEO of the brain, the chief executive officer. It's actually controlling many of these functions. It regulates things like attention. Uh, it, it helps us keep our behavior in check in particular situations. Uh, uh, we don't uh, walk into uh, a school and uh, scream uh, like we're at a football game necessarily, or at least most people don't. Uh, so that's that's involved uh, with that. Also abstract thinking, so things like mathematics and, and time. Again, which if you talk to uh, individuals with Down syndrome, one of the things they find, certainly can find challenging is uh, uh, mathematical uh, concepts and, and uh, procedures. Well, what does all that really mean in, in the, real, the, the real world? Uh, for individuals uh, with, with Down syndrome. I mean, what, what impact could we have if we uh, could change uh, these uh, or, or alter these impressions? Well, it could lead to more associations, meaning that individuals could have greater connections in their, in their knowledge, have better attention, task juggling, being able to, to juggle multiple tasks simultaneously, which would lead to better progress in schools or employment, uh, initiating activities. Uh, individuals have a tendency to, uh, 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 you know, focus on a particular way of, of doing something. And we're all, I mean, again, we take these things for granted every day, but we can actually alter the way we actually think about when, how, and uh, we might go about initiating a particular activity. More flexibility. Uh, one thing, uh, again, maybe we could all use some uh, a bit of this, but uh, uh, behavior improvement, less stubbornness. Uh, getting stuck on a, a particular way of doing something, and a greater uh, ability and willingness to try new strategies. So this can have real-world, you know, day-to-day -day impact, uh, in fact, significant impact on the lives of individuals with Down syndrome. All these things can go together, and as I said, certainly contribute to, to uh, 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 greater independence for individuals with Down syndrome, which is one thing, again, they stress uh, uh, as something that, that, that they would like to, to be able to have. Well, that's sort of the developmental intellectual disability. I mentioned about the Alzheimer's disease. I think everybody, probably most of your listeners, are going to know about Alzheimer's disease. It's in the newspaper all the time. There are greater than 5 million people in the U.S. with Alzheimer's disease, 35 million worldwide. And that's expected to double by the year 2030. <clears throat> the other thing I suspect you probably have, have read about, 
without getting into a lot of scientific detail, is what you find in Alzheimer's disease, the formation of so-called plaques in the brain, uh, or beta amyloid plaques. Uh, these are deposits in the brain uh, that lead to damaged nerve cells and ultimately the death of nerve cells. And that formation of those plaques can actually become, I mean, again, this is research not just in the Down syndrome area, but in the Alzheimer's area. These plaques can start forming years before there's any detectable loss of cognitive function. And that's an important point because I'll come back to that in a, a few moments. But it's related to this. Sufficient early prediction and determination of those who will develop Alzheimer's disease remains a major challenge and hurdle uh, in terms of proving effectiveness of potential new drugs to prevent or halt Alzheimer's disease. I'm sure many of your listeners, too, have seen the headlines uh, over the past few years about another spectacular failure for uh, a potential new Alzheimer's drug. And researchers have, I think, come to the conclusion, and this is in the Alzheimer's area, that uh, many of these drugs that are being looked at could actually work, but they've just been started too late. In other words, the clinical trials have been started on in individuals in their 70s or older. And much of that uh, damage from that amyloid plaques that I'd mentioned earlier uh, uh, has actually already proceeded you know, pretty far uh, down the path. Well, how does this relate to, ALS, to uh, individuals with Down syndrome? Well, interestingly enough, uh, those plaques are formed from a piece of a protein, and the proteins are encoded by genes. It's formed, uh, those plaques are formed by uh, a piece of a protein that's encoded by a gene on chromosome 21. Not absolutely important, it's called the APP gene, amyloid precursor protein, uh, surprisingly enough. And because you've got an extra chromosome, an extra chromosome 21 in individual Down syndrome, you have three, the three copies of that uh, uh, gene it means that it's overexpressed. So there's a higher level of that protein being made in the brains of individuals with Down syndrome, essentially from the get-go. And it's the APP uh, protein and its products are overexpressed in uh, Down syndrome. And one of those products, in fact, is that component you find in those amyloid plaques in Alzheimer's disease. So that's a connection between Alzheimer's disease and, and uh, 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 Down syndrome. And I'll just reiterate, Virtually all individuals with Down syndrome develop that same characteristic AD, Alzheimer's disease, uh, neuropathology, that amyloid plaque deposition, by their fourth decade. So in their 40s. And the majority, it takes time over the next subsequent years, the majority will subsequently develop the dementia that you see associated with Alzheimer's disease as well. So it hits individuals with Down syndrome perhaps 20, 30 years earlier than in the rest of the population. Now, I'll come back to this, or we can talk about it, but I'm going to emphasize that individuals with Down syndrome, they provide a unique key to new Alzheimer's therapies. I mean, something that you can't find anyplace else. Remember I said that a lot of those uh, uh, drugs that have been looked at have, have failed in the clinic, and because many people think that they've started too late. Well, how do you tell in a clinical trial, who's going to get Alzheimer's disease if it's being, you know, if it starts so early. That's the, I think, a, a, a particular uh, 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 special case here in uh, individuals with Down syndrome. You know that virtually every individual is going to develop that neuropathology. So that could be a unique key in proving the effectiveness of new, uh, of new therapeutics. But in, in doing so, they would have to wait, you know, possibly decades to prove it. 
Well, not necessarily. I mean, in fact, the, the, uh, as I'll tell you, we've actually got clinical trials ongoing uh, or, and, and another one about to start uh, looking at this in individuals with Down syndrome. There's a way to actually be able to monitor uh, that plaque formation. And the issue is, is with individuals with Down syndrome, we could start. We know when we can actually see some of those plaques. So we could actually start these clinical trials earlier. <coughs> this may be in, uh, in the 20s for individuals with Down with Down syndrome that we'd start these clinical trials, but ultimately be able to, to monitor the effectiveness of, of those uh, potential new therapeutics, new drugs, uh, to see if they in fact slow the deposition of that uh, amyloid and overcome the issue with respect to that additional cognitive decline. So again, I think it's an important key and something I think that's, un that, uh, that's unique uh, uh, to individuals uh, with Down syndrome that they can actually contribute to this, to the bigger effort uh, with respect to Alzheimer's disease. Well, hopefully well, that, that, that by doing so, they can also tap into some of those research dollars. <laughs> well, and that's one of the things we're trying to do, and we're working on that, and to some extent we're having some success there. But the good news is, too, a lot of the money that's already going into Alzheimer's research, okay, uh, if that actually ends up uh, uh, developing new therapeutics, some of those therapeutics could certainly be, uh, in that research, could certainly be applicable to individuals with uh, Down syndrome. The flip side of that, the point I'm actually making is perhaps uh, 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 taking some of these new therapeutics based on the research uh, that uh, we've been uh, uh, funding, uh, if we could develop a new therapeutic, if we could prove it in an individual with Down syndrome, that would have wide applicability to virtually everybody else as well. So the next new Alzheimer's drug could just as easily come from the research uh, with individuals with Down syndrome uh, as uh, from that larger area. Well, I'm going to uh, shoot ahead. We developed a research, our research strategy. What's different? Why have we had success? And I'm just going to sort of say that uh, uh, they're really, I think we came at this uh, with our scientific advisory board and saying, okay, how do we get from point A to point A, uh, Z? And how do we get there faster? And uh, there are really three fundamental questions that needed to be addressed. Uh, and one, we need to know, our, as I said, I mentioned earlier about dysfunctional cognitive mechanisms. If we can identify a, a, you know, an impaired mechanism, could we in fact find a target uh, for a drug that would ameliorate uh, that uh, impairment, improve it, change it, uh, and are there drug candidates uh, that could also ameliorate that, that function? So that's one question. The second question, which is one I posed actually at our scientific advisory board back in 2007, uh, was if we had a drug that we thought worked today, how would we prove it? You have to have specific assessment tools that can measure meaningful improvements. In our case, what we'd be looking at is improvement in uh, uh, learning and memory, cognition, uh, in the case of the developmental intellectual disability or the uh, lack of loss of cognitive ability for looking at uh, Alzheimer's disease. And so we need a, a specific assessment tools. And believe it or not, as recently as, as you know, 2007, there, were no, there was not a specific cognitive assessment battery or test out there that was specifically designed for individuals with Down syndrome. So this is all pretty recent. Right. Third you, question you, you, is, you, you were discussing yes. that when we when we talked. We were calling that the the DSAT or something like that. The kind of the test that you were 
that you were developing? Yeah, the ACTB, uh, which right. I'll mention again in a moment, is the Arizona Cognitive Test Battery. And so we've actually supported research, and that's actually the very first cognitive test battery that was uh, developed specifically for individuals uh, with uh, uh, Down syndrome. And we need that to be able to say, do these will a drug work? We need it in other uh, clinical studies as well. As I said, just uh, the uh, cognitive assessment of individuals with Down syndrome. Third question is potential clinical trials. If we had a drug, we had a way to test it, are there enough uh, sites out there uh, that could run clinical trials? And even if there were enough sites, are there enough participants, uh, uh, patient participants, that could be recruited uh, for uh, uh, development of a drug? You have to go through clinical trials and you need uh, participants in those clinical trials. Well, the bottom line is as recently as 2004, the year we were founded, there really were no answers to any of those questions. out there. Well, we designed a strategy. We've been supporting research mainly at academic laboratories. I mean, I'll just mention some of the the Johns Hopkins, uh, University of California, San Diego, uh, where you are, Jason, uh, Emory uh, uh, University Medical School, uh, VA Palo Alto uh, uh, in the Bay Area in California, Stanford, uh, and the University of Arizona. Uh, Those are just a few of, of uh, the places where we've uh, f- uh, funded research. Um, but we've also uh, made a point, which is something, again, that hadn't been done in Down syndrome before. We engage with biopharma. If you're going to develop drugs based on those three questions, those three questions are exactly the questions that a uh, pharmaceutical company, biopharma, are going to ask before they jump in and try and work on uh, uh, developing uh, a therapy. All right, jumping into just a little bit of the uh, science uh, on this, I'll just say we, we're working both in targeting that early and lifelong developmental cognitive disability and Down syndrome, as well as targeting that earlier development of Alzheimer's disease, how to prevent uh, that Alzheimer's disease. Very long story short, all of that research that we've supported now since 2004, and a lot of this just since 2007, uh, the research has identified multiple mechanisms that we were that they were involved in that cognitive impairment, <clears throat> as well as for the developmental intellectual disability, as well as uh, uh, the ultimate decline, the Alzheimer's disease pathology that you see in, in Down syndrome. Um, those mechanisms, have, some of those mechanisms have now been identified and defined. We pursued work there. We've identified at least nine potential new therapeutic drug targets. Uh, which have been shown uh, in the laboratory initially in a mouse model for Down syndrome. Yes, there is a, an animal model, which is true for essentially all disorders out there, having uh, animal models. Um, these drug targets and some experimental drugs in the laboratory have been shown to overcome those specific impairments to improve cognition in those mouse models. In addition, some of these drugs have actually been shown to, pre- to halt or prevent the neurodegeneration that you see associated with the Alzheimer's uh, disease, as well as the, co- the decline in cognitive function. So I'll just mention briefly, we don't have time to go into detail on all of these, but just to say one of those mechanisms uh, that was discovered uh, involved the hippocampus. And the way the brain communicates, you can think of it as an excitatory inhibitory. And one way to think about that is a, a go signal, that's excitatory, and a stop signal, that's inhibitory. And there's a balance 
just in what we're doing right now in, in terms of talking, there's a balance in that excitatory inhibitory uh, uh, neurotransmission that's going on in our brains right now. And that's very important in terms of the formation of new memories, learning new things and formation of new memories. And the research in these animal models, uh, these mouse models for Down syndrome, originally showed that there is a, uh, uh, an imbalance there. And it shifted more towards the inhibitory side, so that stop side. And without going into uh, to a lot of the detail here, we've identified uh, at least three drug targets, potential drug targets, uh, that uh, were involved in this process. And in the laboratory, it actually shown that if you used uh, some of these experimental drugs in the laboratory, that you could overcome, essentially improve or normalize the at a cellular and molecular level uh, the uh, learning and memory uh, processes. So that leads to improved learning and memory. And you can actually show that. You can, believe it or not, yes, even mice can learn things and be trained to, to do things. And you can actually see an improvement in, uh, uh, in, in that. And one of those targets, uh, so-called GABA-A receptors, actually now, uh, actually, there are drugs that hit that target that are uh, the subject of two uh, ongoing clinical trials, one by Roche Pharmaceutical Company, the other by Balance Therapeutics. I'll mention something more about them again in a moment. Another exciting uh, uh, advance just in the last, just published actually last year, uh, uh, was some work being done by uh, Roger Reeves at Johns Hopkins and, uh, uh, University Medical School and his colleagues. And one of the things that they had shown is that there's another structure in the brain called the cerebellum. It sits at the base of the brain. It's a structure that's involved in uh, some aspects of learning, uh, but it's always been thought to be involved mainly in motor control, motor coordination, motor control, motor learning, uh, movement uh, control. And in individuals with Down syndrome, that structure, the cerebellum, is actually smaller. And that's true in those same mouse models uh, for Down syndrome that I had mentioned. And again, to make a very long story short, he actually discovered the basis for uh, what was impaired at a cellular level. And he can actually use a particular type of a growth factor, okay? And I'm gonna have, maybe I'll have to repeat this, but I'll just say one dose the day of birth uh, in these mouse models, okay, completely restores the size and the function of the cerebellum. Wow. The other thing is now that's, and, and a lot of the cerebellar development actually occurs after birth. That's true in the mouse model, but also true in humans. So they gave that one dose the day of birth. Seven days later, you're looking at the development of the cerebellum, and that's essentially normalized. But to look at learning and memory, to ask the question, does this have an impact on learning and memory, which uh, some of the work uh, research that we funded with uh, Dr. Reeves, they actually now looked three months later, the same mice, cerebellum was fixed, uh, uh, and asked the question, does it have an impact on learning and memory, the impairment of learning and memory? And sure enough, it essentially restored uh, not totally, but uh, substantially restored uh, learning and memory. That's a whole new pathway. We're still pursuing that. That's not yet in the clinic, uh, uh, but that's, uh, I think, some exciting work that was uh, published. Both of those actually relate to that developmental cognitive disability that you see uh, essentially from birth in individuals with Down, uh, with Down syndrome. So 
that's another target, another, uh, another strategy. Well, what about the Alzheimer's disease? And I mentioned about the uh, connection of Alzheimer's disease and Down syndrome, and that's really due to uh, uh, disruption, essentially degeneration of, of nerve cells. And that can be directly traced, as I mentioned earlier, to that increased amount of APP. So in Down syndrome, you have this increased amount of APP. You can see this in the mouse models for Down syndrome. And have identified multiple targets uh, that uh, can overcome uh, that neurodegeneration, tamp down that amount of that APP protein, ultimately preventing the formation or lowering the amount of those uh, amyloid plaques that I mentioned. So that halts the neurodegeneration and actually improves uh, uh, cog cognitive function as well, prevents that uh, additional decline in, in cognition. And I'll just mention that there are one of those targets in this area uh, actually is a uh, 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 the basis for uh, two other clinical trials uh, uh, that are <clears throat> one on, has been ongoing in the process and another I think will start within the next uh, several months uh, to overcome uh, or to address that. Well, I'll come back to clinical trials in a minute. That, believe it or not, that's only the answer to the first question that I posed earlier. There, the other two questions again about do we have a way to uh, monitor any change, improvement in cognition. And we've already mentioned this, but we supported the development of the Arizona Cognitive Test Battery by doctors uh, Jamie Edgen and Lynn Nadell at the University of Arizona. Uh, so that development of that first DS-specific cognitive test battery, it actually looks at the function mediated by the prefrontal cortex, the hippocampus, and the cerebellum, those areas of the brain that I'd mentioned uh, uh, that are impacted in Down syndrome. So this helps us this is something that I think has been useful, certainly was useful in discussions with the pharma industry. Yes, there is a way to actually monitor uh, in individuals with Down syndrome if a drug's having an impact. Another component to that was, are there sufficient clinical trial sites? There just haven't been many clinical trials really for anything in individuals with Down syndrome. And we'd started something, uh, again, several years ago called the Down Syndrome Cognition Project which was using the Arizona Cognitive Test Battery to actually look at the variability of cognition between individuals with Down syndrome, okay? But also, there's a basic component to this. We wanted to actually look at this and look and do genetic association studies. Were there correlations with cognitive function and differences at the uh, gene or genomic uh, level? But it didn't escape us that by setting this up, uh, 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 and involving multiple institutions, a, a consortium of uh, now nine U.S. Uh, institutions across the country, which includes Johns Hopkins and Emory, uh, as well as the other uh, a variety of centers across the country, that this would create a scaffold for an effective Down syndrome clinical trials network. And that's something else that I think was important in my early discussions with uh, pharmaceutical companies uh, in terms of uh, being able to address them. So now we had answers to essentially all three of those questions, or at least the beginning of the answers to all three of those questions. And as I said, we started to engage with uh, the uh, biopharma companies, uh, 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 partly by my own background and experience in the pharma industry. I knew there were some companies that were working on drugs, not for Down syndrome, but actually drugs that were, um, for other reasons, that work through some of these same mechanisms that were being identified by the researchers. So, for example, that excitatory inhibitory uh, imbalance uh, and a particular target, drug target that I'd mentioned, uh, uh, Roche was working on a drug 
uh, a new drug, completely new drug, that happened to hit that target. So we had some discussions with them, and that moved very rapidly. I mean, they do due diligence. Uh, we talked about what it would be uh, to run a, a clinical trial in uh, uh, individuals with, with Down syndrome. And so in a very short period of time, and we're going from like 2007 now to uh, these discussions were happening in 2009, and in 2011, they initiated a uh, first major uh, new clinical trial, uh, uh, specifically directed for this drug uh, 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 in individuals with Down syndrome. Now, we just want to digress a second by saying, I think this is a pretty big deal, because many people in the community not only weren't aware of the research, but many people in the community, when I went and, and spoke to the community, would say, geez, no no pharmaceutical is ever going to be interested in uh, Down syndrome for a variety of reasons, but population's too small, nobody cares, what have you. So I would just, I, I think this was a, a watershed moment, if you will, this and that Roche not only uh, uh, initiated this clinical trial uh, in, in individuals with Down syndrome, but this is a completely new drug. It's not a Me Too drug, it's not been used for something else, and they decided the first thing they were going to take this into the clinic and or in, was in individuals with Down syndrome. Long story short, and I'll come back and say something more about the, uh, this in the closing, but just to say that clinical trial, they've moved through phase one clinical trial and just uh, uh, this past uh, 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 May actually started a phase two clinical trial. There are three phases in clinical trials. So this has actually gone through a phase one, been shown to be self safe and tolerable in individuals with Down syndrome. The other thing, that phase one, it was in, uh, uh, the participants were limited to 18 to 30 years old. Based on the results from this, they went back to the FDA, and in the phase two trial, this is now uh, a trial that's involving individuals uh, ages 12 to 30. Again, targeting that developmental intellectual disability. That was initiated in May of 2014. Uh, <clears throat> it certainly depended on rate of recruitment into the clinical trial, but the expectation is that phase two may have results from that by the end of this year. There's also balanced therapeutics. They're taking a, a uh, they're targeting exactly the same thing with a completely different drug. They initiated a clinical trial, uh, a phase uh, uh, one clinical trial, again, looking at safety and tolerability. Uh, and uh, actually their clinical trial sites are all in Australia at this point. They're just coming to the end of that uh, 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 phase one trial now, and progression will depend on the, on the results of that. But that should be uh, within, again, uh, probably the next uh, first half of this year that we should have results from that. Okay, that was, those are all drugs targeting that developmental intellectual disability uh, early on. What about the Alzheimer's area? Well, <clears throat> a company, Elan, which is now Transition Therapeutics, initiated a clinical trial for a drug that they had been developing for individuals with Alzheimer's disease. They initiated a phase 2A clinical trial uh, with this drug. It's called ELND005. It's, it, the actual name is Silonostal. It's not really important, but it targets that beta amyloid aggregation. So it's thought to work by inhibiting the aggregation of that amyloid, that product of APP that forms the, the amyloid plaques. It also uh, uh, targets another pathway that's thought to be related to cognitive impairment. Uh, that was a phase two clinical trial, 18 to 45 years of age. Uh, they just completed that this past fall. They're in the period of assessment. First of all, that phase 
that initial phase trial was successful in the sense that what they were looking at again was safety and tolerability, essentially no uh, significant side effects uh, from that trial, and they're now in the assessment phase for um, uh, moving on to the next uh, uh, phase of a clinical trial, larger clinical trial to look, does it have an impact on cognition uh, uh, and even the amyloid plaques in individuals with uh, Down syndrome. And finally, I, I mentioned that there's about a, another trial about to start. There is a, another small company, it's a Swiss company that we've been working with now for uh, a couple of years, uh, who had developed a vaccine against amyloid, uh, the amyloid that goes to form those plaques. Uh, this is a completely new uh, vaccine. Uh, it's not been looked at actually in, in uh, Alzheimer's disease yet. But again, because of that APP connection, uh, it's thought that this could be applicable to uh, individuals with Down syndrome. And just to mention, there's base research on this showing that it actually works in the mouse models for Down syndrome by uh, lowering the amount of that APP product that forms the amyloid plaques and also uh, prevents the uh, uh, decline in, in cognition. So we're excited about that. That's likely to get started uh, in uh, uh, the, probably the second quarter this year. So again, in, in uh, just a, a short few months, that'll be a phase one trial. That'll be in the, uni in, the, in the U.S. And that's really directed again to that Alzheimer's uh, disease. One other thing I'm going to mention, I think it's a, it goes the essence of how we try to work. The company will contribute some funding to that. The NIH, importantly enough, we work with uh, ACMUN. They've gotten an NIH grant which will pay for part of that. And the foundation, our foundation, Blue Line Foundation, will also uh, pay part of that. So I think this is a way of the future. It's happening in a lot of areas, but these essentially a private-public partnership to move this forward uh, as rapidly as we can. Well, that's the clinical trials. I would just say, when just to let you know that we've talked a lot about the NIH. We've been working uh, very closely with the NIH. There's something called the Down Syndrome uh, Consortium. NIH Down Syndrome Consortium involves a number of Down Syndrome organizations out there. We've been working with them uh, now since uh, that was formed, I think, 2011, 2012, so again, relatively recent. One of the first tasks we took on there was the development of DS Connect, a Down Syndrome patient registry, something that, again, all other disorders have. Why, why have registries? Yeah, we had a, we had a whole podcast on this. Uh, okay, Dr. good. Oppel. Okay, and that, that's right. I knew you had Lisa Kayser on there. That's so right. yep. you've already heard about that. That was launched in September of 2013. Uh, it's important for doing yeah, clinical what, what, studies. What, one it's of my questions for, was, you know, yeah. how 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 are you using that data and and, and, right. and, and just to kind of reinforce our listeners that it's important for them to go sign up. Right. Right. Well. Actually, if your listeners go and sign up, what they'll get access to is the composite of information to an individual, okay, uh, saved by uh, an identifier number. That's not shared with uh, anybody out there. But if you go and you look on this site, you're going to actually find, for example, maybe you're asked, you have the question, you know, you know, uh, my child or uh, you know, my loved one has uh, 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 a particular issue with uh, sleep. How many other individuals out there uh, with Down syndrome are having issues with sleep? If everybody's entered that data, you can actually look at that composite data. You can actually look at that composite data with respect to the U.S. This is an international uh, registry, by the way, so it's open up to the world. The more people that participate in this, the more information is going to be available in the community. But, but does it affect your research? Yeah, does it affect your research? 
yeah, on the research side um, by, uh, we'll just take some of these clinical trials. Companies are going to need, uh, when we run these clinical trials, we need participants for clinical trials. This would be a way to make a connection between an individual, uh, individuals out there uh, uh, in clinical trials. People that go and sign up, they have the ability to say, and you can change this any time, say, yes, I would be interested in being contacted if there was a study that was appropriate. That allows them to be able to have essentially a direct connection into uh, clinical trials. But ultimately what we're interested in is looking at a lot of the biomedical data uh, out there. And so that registry, while it deals with individuals, ultimately as studies get done, that information will be available through that registry. We'll be able to expand that knowledge base uh, for researchers uh, uh, as well as, as, as the community uh, out there. And you were asking about, are we using that? Is anybody using that? Well, interestingly enough, I mean, again, it was just launched in 2013. Even with all the individuals in the U.S., uh, as I said, 300,000 plus, we have just got, I was looking at it today, and I think we're just approaching maybe 2,700 uh, people uh, registered uh, and participants. So it's really still early stages, but I will just tell you, uh, actually I was asked uh, last year to uh, chair the governance board for Down Center for DS Connect, which I do, and our, just our, our last meeting uh, was told that uh, we've actually had the first request from researchers to be able to go in and use the registry. So we're early days for this. The more people that get involved, I think the more it's going to be used. So it's again, it's a bit of a chicken or the egg thing, but uh, this is just now uh, opening up. So I think we're in an exciting phase, and I think what we'll see over the next few years, again, hopefully more people will sign up and we'll get more studies uh, 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 going. It's going to contribute to the research we've been funding. Uh, so if you're, as, as if, well. you're, if you're listening right now, pause, go online, <laughs> sign up. Right. Sorry. right. And it's DS Connect. Uh, <laughs> Actually, if you go to our website, I was going to say, for much of what I'm talking about, clinical trials, how do I connect into clinical trials, how do I find information, more information about that, most of these things that I'm mentioning today, we actually have links from our website, which is www.lumindfoundation.org, and uh, we have links and information about all of these uh, things, including DS Connect. So uh, there's a lot of information on their website uh, that'll give you much more information about uh, what's involved there. Another point I think is important for your listeners, and this is just fairly recent, November 2014, uh, we've worked with, through this consortium and as our foundation and as researchers, we've, learned a we've lot about with, uh, down with uh, uh, the NIH. They develop a research plan. First one was released in 2007. We helped work on that, but they did an update. And this is called Down Syndrome's uh, Directions just released and posted by the NIH in November of 2014. We have a connection from our website to that as well. I encourage everybody, you want to get a wide breadth of what the plans are. I think it's a, it's a really uh, great uh, document. It gives you some historical information. That would be a good resource as well. Hey, I just, I just double-checked. It's, uh, it's dsconnect.nih.gov, and that right. noise you heard was the video that started when I went to the website. I apologize for that. <laughs> I, I, I want to point out that on their, we, on their well, website, it, there's, a, there's, also, a, there's a link to our podcast episode with our logo. I'm going to make a pitch as somebody who's worked in, with the DS Connect, uh, and, and, and as I said, working with the governance committee. One of the things, if you go on there, you'll actually see, you can actually see the numbers of people that have uh, uh, registered. You can get general geographical location. One of the things that we need 
uh, in particular. Not only more people signing up, but we certainly need adult participants, adults with Down syndrome. That is, uh, they need to be uh, registered. If you look at the the the, the, the uh, registrants on there, predominantly they're still uh, younger individuals. We want everybody, and it's important for adults to participate in this because I think this research can also change uh, the lives for adults. Um, well, I'm going to, I guess we're getting sort of uh, close to, to the time. Uh, I would just say that we've been involved in supporting various scientific meetings. There have been, I would just say, again, if you want a sense of progress, of the excitement in Down syndrome research, uh, there have been a, a variety of meetings. Uh, we've been plugged into the National Alzheimer's Plan, the importance of Down syndrome for the National Alzheimer's Plan. Uh, Down syndrome is mentioned specifically in that plan. Uh, we supported a workshop, an NIH workshop, uh, under that plan, uh, Advancing Treatments for Alzheimer's Disease in Individuals with Down Syndrome, very first workshop ever of, uh, on Alzheimer's disease in uh, individuals uh, with Down syndrome. Uh, there's some other important meetings coming up on outcome measures. Uh, 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 these are scientific and research meetings. Again, getting experts together in the same room, talking to each other about how do we move this forward, how do we accelerate the progress. And another one that uh, will be coming up, I think, in May, together with the Alzheimer's Association and Global Down Syndrome, we're actually sponsoring a, a workshop on, of experts on uh, development of a, a biobank, which is, again, going to be something that will be connected to that register. So, again, the idea here is to get information, materials, data, research data, all connected through this registry. That Ultimately, that will actually push the research uh, forward uh, more. Well, I don't want to leave this without saying, you know, a lot of people ask me, well, does this research have applications beyond uh, individuals with Down syndrome? I mean, for us, we're focused on, on individuals with Down syndrome, but I think it's important, uh, again, for the community to communicate that research in Down syndrome can have really much wider applications to virtually everyone. I've mentioned about the Alzheimer's disease connection. Again, the next new effective therapeutic for Alzheimer's disease may just as easily come from research uh, in uh, Down syndrome uh, as uh, we're uh, out there more broadly in uh, Alzheimer's disease. I've mentioned about the increased incidence or uh, prevalence of uh, leukemia in individuals with Down syndrome. Interestingly enough, research has shown over the years that there is a much lower incidence, statistically significant lower incidence of solid tumors of virtually all types in individuals with Down syndrome. If we knew why, we may be able to figure out uh, new therapeutic strategies for all types of solid uh, tumor cancers out there, and that would have much broader uh, applicability. And I just will mention, won't spend any time on it, but just to say there are certain of Human chromosome genes, which are present in three copies, appear to suppress tumor formation. So, uh, again, there are some positive aspects with respect to cancer there. Another area is atherosclerosis, heart disease, one of the things that's a big scourge uh, for uh, the world population out there. It turns out that individuals with Down syndrome also have a statistically significant lower incidence of atherosclerosis. If we understood the reason why, we might be able to develop new therapies. Uh, that would have applicability, uh, again, to a much wider uh, population. So I think that's a message. This is, research is important not only for the lives of individuals with Down syndrome, but has a potential to really contribute very significantly and very broadly 
uh, to the uh, population. So again, simple statement is individuals with Down syndrome are uniquely contributing to, to, to all of us in this research. Okay. That, let okay. Me, uh, yeah. Well, well, what I'd like to do is kind of boil all that down into, mm-hmm. into what like I took away when I went to your speech and, 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 and what I feel again as I, as I talk about that. I, I, you know, there's a lot of detail there, which I think is important. But, mm-hmm. but what I want to remind people is there are real therapies out there. They're possibly decades out, but possibly as little as years out before we see something that could, that could impact our, our children. Is that, is that not true? Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> I, I, I think that's what yet. people need to hear, that, that you know, yeah. sometime in the next 5, 10, 15, maybe more, but, but maybe less, there, there could really be something that could, that could help our kids. Well, yeah. I think some of the, with these ongoing clinical trials within five years of, of having the answer from, from those. I mean, none of us can predict these are going to work uh, uh, at this stage of the game. That's why they're going through the clinical trials. There are three phases, three clinical trial phases. But uh, the, the progress is really, is really rapid. And that actually brings up, I think, how can you know, people in the community make a difference? What can, that's what we know, want to do. What that's, what, do? That's, that's what right. we're about. We're about advocacy right. and connecting you to them and, and making sorry? it happen. I'm sorry. Are we, are we having some Skype problems? I guess we had some feedback there, but yeah. Sorry. I think we're good. Okay. Can you hear me now? Sure can. Okay. So how can uh, the community... Uh, contribute and make a real difference. Well, first and foremost, I'd just say continue to become well-educated supporters and consumers of evidence-based Down syndrome research, biomedical research. <clears throat> the term research gets bandied about, and I know there's some in the community that say, well, we've tried research uh, and it hasn't gone anyplace. Again, a lot of the past research is really uh, 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 lack on the evidence-based front. So what I'm talking about, or what I've been describing today, are you know highly respected you know uh, researchers out there, uh, and it's truly evidence based. They're really bringing state of the art research uh, procedures and techniques to the process, and they're not promising something that we can't prove. This is what this is all about. It is actually convincing ourselves uh, that these are going to this is going to make an impact. So again, it's about partnership. And when I say consumers, I mean this is. Listening, hold people's hold our feet to the fire. Uh, ask any question. Okay, what do you know? What do you don't know? Where are we in all of this? In, uh, in all of this uh, process. But as again, we certainly need support. That's awareness, as well as uh, going back to the beginning, uh, the dollars out there. And it's all going to happen by partnerships, which is what we've been about. It's a critical need for participation in these validated evidence-based clinical studies. So, <clears throat> we've mentioned about DS Connect. If you haven't registered, I'd certainly encourage you to go look at the down, uh, DS Connect uh, website and register. It only takes uh, a short uh, amount of time to register. You can go start registering, come back, uh, and, and complete it. Uh, so I think it's, it's, it, it's something that's uh, quite user-friendly, uh, and we're continuing to prove that. But there are also the new drug therapeutic trials. If we can't get enough people participating in the clinical trials, or it doesn't happen at a rate sufficient uh, uh, to, to, to do these clinical trials, we could start them, but we can't finish them. And again, I'm going to just point out, this is one of the uh, issues, not just with respect to Down syndrome, but essentially most disorders and diseases uh, out there in terms of clinical trials. We need participants to be able to uh, conduct the clinical trials and prove whether or not, uh, convincingly, whether or not 
uh, these drugs that are in the development process work or don't work. And there are a variety of projects. I, I just mentioned the Down Syndrome Cognition Project. As I said, we have a consortium of sites around the country, nine sites around the country. Uh, again, we have information on that on our, uh, um, on our, our website. So I'm going to just summarize real quickly by saying, amazingly, I've talked about the need for, uh, for, for funding. All of what I've just described today, we've actually accomplished since 2004 with about just slightly more than $10 million in new research funding through the foundation. Uh, I think that shows that, number one, if you're focused on an issue, you get the right people involved, you provide sufficient funding, that you can be very efficient, and that leads to unprecedented uh, results. We've gotten a, a ton of new researchers that weren't working in the Down syndrome area now working in the Down syndrome area. Again, that's leading to um, uh, results. Um, I've mentioned about the clinical trials. There, there are three that have been ongoing. There's a fourth about to start. The other thing that's important, because it's, it is important to us, and it talks about the partnerships and the way we work, by doing the grants to the researchers that we've done, we've leveraged now more than $12 million in additional research funding from NIH, from universities, and other foundations. So this is, again, all about partnerships and uh, uh, collaborations uh, that are out there. I guess the final thing I'll end, this is truly, to me, uh, I mean, I get pretty passionate about this. This is a seize-the-moment opportunity. It's an unusually significant opportunity uh, now. I've worked in biomedical research. You said 35 years. I'm approaching 40 years now. And I'm going to tell you, I've worked in a lot of areas. Alzheimer's disease, as I said, epilepsy, Parkinson's disease. This is a research area that's moved more rapidly than anything I've been involved with in throughout my career. And I think that's an, that's an important message for the community, that this is real, it's happening, and it's moving quite, uh, uh, really quite rapidly. The other thing is understanding treating Down syndrome. It's no longer too complex or difficult. We've got new research tools, uh, increased understanding, and I mentioned certainly about the progress. The other thing to stress here is it's not too late. I know many people will think, well, if I don't, can't do something by age two, three, what have you, we can't make a difference. Well, uh, I think what neuroscience research and what the research that we've been supporting tells us is cognitive function can be modified in, even in adults. So this is, a, uh, I think, an important take-home message. This is not just something that's applicable uh, to uh, uh, young children. It's uh, across that uh, age span. And I hope what we've been able to do, uh, we certainly get more uh, requests for funding from researchers. There are a lot of exciting ideas just beyond what we have the uh, money uh, 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 to, to support. So there's a compelling case for a significant proportionate increase in funding and investment in both fundamental as well as a translational, that moving into the clinic uh, research. Again, all this really requires building upon and increasing exploration, collaborations and partnerships between researchers, clinicians, their academic institutions and hospitals, the Down syndrome uh, community and organizations, federal agencies, including across all those different NIH institutes, as well as biopharma companies. It really takes all those pieces to make this happen. And I think we've been pretty successful uh, so far uh, at uh, bringing some of those pieces together and, and making uh, progress. Anyway, I think I'll end there. and certainly be happy to address any questions sure you guys got any questions yeah i mean i think <laughs> that was just incredible information and 
you know, that was probably the the quietest we've been in a while. Right. For, <laughs> but um, it, it was just awesome to hear it all. Um, just one thing that popped to my head, I mean, a few things that really piqued my interest, like the low private funding and um, research, but um, the piece on participants for trials and po the possibility that you don't have enough participants for a trial is something I never really thought about. Um, and I, I, are we taking for granted that our name is in DS Connect, therefore we are going to be contacted about trials, or do we need to look out other places to be involved? Yeah, I mean, again, we're trying to make this, uh, you know, we're trying to increase the awareness on that as widely as possible. Certainly, we have, I mean, through the foundation, we have newsletters, we have, you know, we're on Facebook, we have uh, email blasts, et cetera. So when a new clinical trial actually, uh, in, in this area, in each of these clinical trials I've mentioned, we've actually uh, uh, posted that info website. Uh, there are several tabs at the top. One of those, I think, uh, says research. If you click on that, there's a menu that comes down, and it lists these clinical trials. And what that actually does is it gives you, we've got links, it's just the click of a button, links to uh, get more information about those each specific clinical trial. Uh, you can read about, you know, uh, uh, as I said, the different ages that might be in a particular clinical, uh, clinical trial. But it's also got the information of who to contact if you're interested in that. If you're in DS Connect, okay, as I mentioned, everybody, uh, uh, you could go into this, uh, DS Connect, you could register. There is a, a, as I said, a part of the initial registration is a question box, which you can answer, and you can change that answer at any time, but you can answer. Would you be interested in being contacted uh, if there was a clinical study that was appropriate? And that, you'd have to check that to be able to uh, 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 be contacted for that. Otherwise, you wouldn't be contacted. So it's, a, again, about respecting privacy. Uh, you know, somebody doesn't want to participate in those, that's up to them. That's a personal decision, uh, and they, they could opt out. But there are varieties of, of ways that you can find out about these clinical trials. And I'd just say, again, one of the best ways would be certainly to uh, go to our website. If you uh, uh, just sign up on our website, and you'd actually automatically get uh, this, this information. But I think our website is pretty chock full of not only a lot of aspects of the research I've discussed, but certainly about clinical trials, but also other clinical studies. These might be academic studies. Uh, certainly the work that uh, Drs. Edgen and Nadell do at the University of Arizona, they're developing all the time. They're developing uh, new uh, uh, cognitive tests. They want to do improvements upon even the Arizona cognitive test battery. But just to give you another example, they conducted another study. Uh, we're supporting this, uh, where they use the Arizona Cognitive Test Battery to look at individuals with Down syndrome that were experiencing sleep apnea. Uh, again, it's somewhere between 60 and 80 percent, depending on the studies, of individuals with Down syndrome. These are children and adults uh, experience sleep apnea. Now, there's some physical aspects to that, but and I didn't spend any time on this, but just to say, neuroscience research has taught us now over the past 20 years, there's a direct connection between sleep and cognition. A lot of things that go on with respect to learning and memory are happening during sleep. And if sleep is disrupted, that can have an impact on cognition. And Dr. Edgen just published a paper, a study uh, this past year, that showed that individuals with these are individuals with Down syndrome, these are uh, 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 adolescents with uh, young adults with Down syndrome that have sleep apnea, have a, uh, uh, 
uh, a nine-point lower verbal IQ score uh, than those individuals without. So, if, you know, sleep apnea is something that you can do something about. Not necessarily easily, but you can do something about. So you can already see that what we're learning from this is to say, you know, one thing, experiencing sleep apnea, if you can get treatment for that, that can have an impact on cognition. So those are clinical studies that are ongoing that aren't necessarily drug trials uh, or clinical trials out there, but uh, we do post uh, those, those studies. There are other studies that are ongoing that are looking at speech, for example, again, and the correlation with uh, cognition. So those are non-drug studies, but are every bit as important uh, to thinking about how might we, uh, uh, what might be the target for, for therapy and how might you approach uh, a, a therapeutic uh, uh, intervention. All right. What about you, Jason? Any questions? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, you know, you had mentioned the um, discrepancy in the NIH funding per capita, and, and I had heard that number before. Yes. But I had not heard the um, the the private the the discrepancy or the disparity in the private funding, and and you know it doesn't surprise me because it seems like the Down syndrome community is is unique in that that seems like there are a lot of people who who aren't pro-research, there may not be anti-research, but they're definitely not not searching out um, for these research alternatives. And, and I'm wondering how how do you how do you connect with with them? How do we convince them that that um, you know that this is this is possible? I, I like your it's not too late. I mean that should definitely be the the lead-in for it. Maybe I don't know, but right. but well for yeah, adults for. for yeah, for adults, for sure. Well, I mean, there's not one simple answer to this, at least in my view. I mean, I certainly, <laughs> you guys are doing a fantastic job. I mean, this is a great venue uh, in terms of getting uh, information out to the public. I give, you know, many presentations to local groups across the country, to national groups uh, across the country. But I'll tell you, I think one thing that's going to be effective in changing uh, that, you know, uh, awareness and, and some of the perceptions in the community are people like you guys. You guys are clearly interested. You guys are clearly, uh, and, you're, and you're not alone. I mean, there are many out there in the community. And I think rather than, you know, I could sit here and recite dry science all night <laughs> to, to people, but I was going to say, I think if you see what the value could be, okay, again, I'm going to emphasize for me, this is about. What's the impact you could have in the lives of individuals with Down syndrome? Okay, it's trying to listen. What is it they want? Okay, and as I said, at the top of the list there is independence. Well, this is actually one approach that can that could lead to independence. Now that's talking about that developmental intellectual disability. But the other message out there, and maybe this is just something that again, uh, there's there's some lack, still some lack of awareness in the in the uh, Down syndrome community, is Alzheimer's disease. I mean, if you're looking at a situation of where in their place, uh, uh, they're starting uh, in late 30s into their 40s, you know, where you actually have this uh, Alzheimer's disease neuropathology, I mean, that's 20, 30, 40 years, you know, sooner, okay, earlier than what you're going to see in the rest of the population. And I don't know anybody that would sit down and say, I'm not interested in Alzheimer's disease research, and could we develop a therapy for that? Well, this is something that it has a direct impact on individuals with Down syndrome to a greater extent than it does in the, in the rest of the population. So, 
again, it may, I mean, what I'm telling you by saying that this is something that's starting to develop, you can see some of this pathology or some of the characteristic of this pathology beginning very early on. It's not, it, it, it's not something that you could say, well, I'm not going to worry about that now. That's 10, 20, 30 years down the road. It's something that I think that, again, uh, is something that there would be little or no argument about. That would be certainly a worthwhile thing to be able to do. Nobody wants to see the individual with Down syndrome. They make so many games. I mean, the previous generations have done this fantastic job on inclusion, okay, uh, uh, more awareness about individuals uh, with Down syndrome. This generation now, it's about, you know, are there things that we can do to create new opportunities? And this becomes a, a pathway, as I said, from children through uh, uh, adults. So I would just say, I think, again, the community, you've listened to uh, uh, this story and you think this is promising. I think a powerful message out there is in your own words saying why this means a lot to you and individuals with Down syndrome, for that matter. All right. Well, I had I had questions too, but I, I, I sent them to you this afternoon and either, either by coincidence or not, they, they were all... All answered in your presentation. <laughs> one one I didn't do, and you said I could do the plug, and I will do the plug. Oh, yeah. Well, no, no, that's the, that's a whole phase, <laughs> talked, uh, Dr. Harpole, what we funding. do at the end. One of the things, we've had some very generous donors, and for our uh, uh, annual appeal, which is uh, continues ongoing, uh, anyone that donates $1,000 or more, uh, that will be matched. Uh, 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 we have a donor that would uh, uh, do the match. Now, $1,000, I realize that, that that's on up there. Everything helps. I mean, I will just tell you, you you've listened to the numbers that I said. But we've done a lot of this on just uh, te about $10 million. If we, we need to think about doubling, tripling, quadrupling, and beyond that. To, because, yeah. as I said, there are more research out there that I think could be exciting. Uh, certainly, we look at it and, and consider it to be exciting then we have money uh, to do. So if you go to our website, uh, I think it's actually just on the home page. It is. I'm You'll looking at it right at now. Top, yep. Yep. Uh, about the donation. Now, $1,000 is tough for an individual, but it's not that hard for a, a local association. That's right. So in a sense, you, you'd be pooling your money together so that you hit the 1000 so mm -hmm. that you get the match. Absolutely. I like the way you think. I'm trying yeah. to help. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! So let's so 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 let's do some plugs. Uh, so we want to make sure we'll say the website uh, one more time: lumindfoundation.org. Uh, it is very well uh, um, very well organized, easy to find the information on the research, how to get involved, the whole plus fifteen program. There's a there's a lot to learn there, uh, and a connection to DS Connect. But we mentioned that as well. That's dsconnect.nih.gov. If you're not doing that, you're missing out because it not only is it is it the way we can help. But uh, there is in interesting information there. We've—I don't know about you guys, but I've definitely done it, and it was—it uh, was pretty cool. Um, anything else you'd like to? You, any other events you have coming up, or anything like that, Doctor Harvey? Um, well, we have—I think we've got a uh, research webinar with two of our researchers, uh, Doctor Bill Mobley, who's at University of California, San Diego, uh, who we've been funding for quite some time, and Doctor Jamie Edgen, and I think that's actually this Friday on the 29th. So. If you plug into that, I think that would give you the opportunity to get a, a little more into the details on some of the research that I've talked about tonight and, and some of the directions uh, that, they're, that uh, they're going. 
We have a number of events throughout the year. Again, those are all listed, I think, on our front page of our, our website. Upcoming so, events, uh, yep. Yep. And um, I don't know if this is, uh, I don't know if this is uh, 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 proper or not, but I was going to say, if anybody has any questions, I'm happy to uh, give you my email address as well. Uh, oh. And anybody that's listening, if they're, something's not clear or want some clarification, I'd certainly be happy to uh, 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 to address uh, any any question. Okay. okay. Well, um, yeah, so you can you can email us for that, or there's a there's okay. an email for the Lumount for the Lumine Foundation right. on the and, contact and us as under well. Under the under uh, per, the staff page, uh, I think uh, uh, I'm listed with my email address as well. Excellent. If you'd like, uh, um, Dr. Harper, we'll put it in the uh, show notes. Okay, we'll great. Make sure you want to do that, but. Uh, Okay, we'll, we'll definitely do that. Um, and then, uh, Jason, did you have anything you wanted to plug as far as uh, um, Downright Awesome events? or? Not really. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> How about uh, 3 to one Foundation, Rick? Well, uh, World Down Syndrome Day is coming up, and that's our big thing uh, for 3 to one Foundation. But also, Lumine has a cool match on uh, World Down Syndrome Day. So it looked like, right. it, looked like it was normally... Two to one, but it's three to one on March right. 21st. Right, right. That's awesome. There you so. go. Yeah, that's incredible. And now you're going to wind up with people holding their money, <laughs> saving up. Hey. And the There'll more be money a three to one conference, too, I think. Uh, uh, right. Uh, this is via, uh, uh, and it's on, well, right around World Down Syndrome Day. It may be the day before, the day of, and the day after. Uh, it's a series of uh, presentations uh, from researchers, really from all types. It's not just on research, uh, very informational. And we participated, I actually participated last year. Uh, I think that was uh, well received and just chock full of information. It's something, again, that people can plug, plug in and out of um, as, as they want. So, uh, yeah, there are a lot of things coming up. So. Hey, I'd like to, uh, um, to 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 mention something going on here in Richmond. Uh, Saturday, February seventh, we have our, uh, our our local DSAGR hosts uh, um, uh, conference from possibilities to practical applications. It's the third annual, and we bill it as a as a national conference on a local level. Uh, I'm not sure if it's if it's if it's quite a national conference, but uh, it's pretty big. You know, considering it's in it's in Richmond, we draw from uh, you know Washington D.C. to uh, um, you know. Uh, um, uh, Norfolk, uh, Virginia Beach, and, and basically all of all of Virginia, Northern North Carolina, or whatever, and uh, it's a great conference. That's uh, that's on dsagr.com. Uh, if you can find that, that's called Possibilities to Practical Applications on Saturday, February seventh. All right. Awesome. Anybody else have any questions or stuff they want to mention? No. That, thank you. That was just fantastic information. I yeah. think. Oh. I could listen. I'm gonna have to listen to this a couple times. Back that's after right. we publish it, so I can get it all down. But I think that's really well, I definitely second the the Dr. Mobley's presentation. It's 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 very well done and and very easy to understand for uh, the the layman. Right. Yeah, we definitely okay. thank you for your time. We thank you for the work that you're doing, especially. We thank yes. you from uh, on the bottom of our kids' hearts. Well, my pleasure, and you guys are doing a great job, and I really appreciate the uh, opportunity to, to speak with you. And to your dear listeners. Fantastic. All right. Well, we'll end with a song. Ah!